You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. This episode is brought to you by Ancestral Elements Supplements. If you're looking for whole food, high quality, wildcrafted supplements, look at Ancestral Elements Supplements. I offer a liver and colostrum supplement as well as a wild bear clover tincture. With my background in food science, I'm able to personally formulate and create my own supplement line to ensure the integrity and quality of each product. In both supplements that I offer, none contain any fillers. They're strictly 100% food items, making them completely bioavailable and non-disruptive to the gut microbiome. For further information, go to AncestralElements.com and navigate to the supplements page. Now, here's the episode. Hi, and welcome back to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. This is episode 60, Metabolic Mayhem and Money. This week, I want to break down the industry that's surrounding metabolism and digestion and what it means to have a healthy gut. I'm sure you guys have heard of prebiotics and probiotics, but a new one on the scene is postbiotics or what people are labeling postbiotics. And I want to get into the kind of nitty-gritty specifics of what postbiotics actually are, if they're going to be helpful, and whether or not they should be used. Okay, so first, a little bit about metabolism. So I think everybody kind of understands the basic concepts of metabolism. It's often something that I think feels a little bit more abstract than it actually is. You know, people talk about having a slow metabolism and, you know, hanging onto fluid or you know, maintaining excess fat, which can all be symptoms of poor metabolism and or digestion. So the difference between digestion and metabolism is digestion is what's called a catabolic process. So in other words, digestion breaks down food into usable nutrients. It's essentially the first step in the metabolism process, whereas metabolism is a catabolic and anabolic process. So it not only breaks down nutrients into usable parts that the cells can use and utilize, but it also is kind of a biosynthesis process. You can synthesize different compounds out of what you've broken down. So it's this breaking down and then building back up or providing your body with nutrients. And the two go hand in hand, obviously, and the definition of those get muddied quite often when people talk about it. But it's important to understand the difference between the two. So if you think about it in terms of food, say you're eating a major excess of a certain nutrient, like sugar, for example, carbohydrate, what that does to you metabolically is that it starts to change the metabolic rhythm and cadence and breakdown of those carbohydrates because there's an excess of those. So things get stored in the liver. Your pancreas has to work a lot harder. Different receptors and enzymes have to activate like A1C and glucagon. And if that type of lifestyle, if that type of eating is perpetuated over time, it'll turn into a clinical disease diagnosis such as diabetes, type 2 diabetes, where you've eaten yourself into metabolic unhealth because there's an overload of a single nutrient that's coming in constantly. And your body has to adapt to that. It's this adaptive process, right? Not to mention with that is probably going to come excess weight. The organs are going to have to shift and compensate to battle all of that glucose coming in. So your liver 
has to kind of synthesize things differently and shuttle things around much differently. And you're going to end up storing a lot of excess fat. And when you're looking at something like A1C, you're looking at the protein hemoglobin and what glucose molecules are attached to it. So essentially, you're looking at a saturation. That's why you'll get a number that's like 5.7% A1C. So that would be anything below 5.7 would be considered a normal blood range saturation for glucose molecules to be shuttled in the blood. Anything above that, you're looking at pre-diabetes and then full-fledged diabetes. And there's a ton of different genetic variation that goes along with A1C levels as well. There's about 18 different genetic markers that can fluctuate someone's A1C levels. And there's also different nutrient interactions that can fluctuate somebody's A1C levels. For example, if you're anemic, have low iron in your blood, then that can flag a false high A1C level. So the thing to understand about metabolism is there's a ton of different interactions, nutrient interactions, between each other, between your genetics, and between the environment. So it's not this clean kind of reduced down thing that you can just statically test all the time and get really specific answers. It's a messy process. It's a chemical process that's going on constantly in your body, and it's really hard to peg down. And metabolic dysfunction or disruption will affect every single tissue in the body. It'll affect every organ, some organs more than other. For example, the liver is an organ that has to take kind of the brunt of metabolic unhealth because there's so many different complex synthesis that's being produced in the liver kind of alchemy happening inside the liver. Your liver's creating and breaking down and reconstituting nutrients constantly. And that's why the liver's so sensitive to metabolic change. But things also happen with the kidneys, again, with the pancreas, with the ovaries, with the testicles, with you name it. If you have a lot of metabolic dysfunction, things will absolutely be hindered or and or changed to adapt to whatever is coming in your body. And so in this day and age, with people eating such nutrient-poor diets, but ha- high-calorie diets, metabolism is inevitably changed, and usually for the worse, on that type of diet. So your typical convenience foods, right? High-carbohydrate, low-protein, high-fat, high-salt. That stuff is high calorie, poor nutrient quality. Your body has a lot to digest, a lot to break down, and a lot to metabolize, but it can't strip out many nutrients from that because there aren't many nutrients in there to begin with, which leaves your body starving on a cellular level. And then energetically, the cells have to shift. They have to adapt to that energy deficit that you're providing your body with daily. Again, not on a calorie perspective, but on a nutrient perspective. And with so many people eating a diet like that, we know what it now leads to. It leads to being overweight, having diabetes, having cardiovascular disease, having strokes, right? All of these lifestyle diseases that we constantly see year after year are a result of that type of metabolic change. On the flip side, there are now really extreme elimination diets. So an elimination diet is basically taking everything out and really eating just a very, very limited set of nutrients. What an elimination diet does metabolically is that it just gives your body a certain set of nutrients 
that it's metabolizing and it becomes quickly adapted to metabolizing those narrow window of nutrients, whatever they may be. You know, there's elimination diets. There's all sorts of different elimination diets. The most extreme would be probably carnivore. You know, second to that, veganism is a pretty heavy elimination diet, although it covers more nutrients and more types of food typically than, say, carnivore. But if all you're doing is eating, let's say, beef steaks, then your body is going to be very, very adapted at breaking down and digesting all the nutrients that are coming out of beef. And what it does immunologically to your immune system is it suppresses it down. And so typically elimination diets are used for medical interventions. The ketogenic diet, same type of deal, right? Really limited carbs was used for epilepsy. It's gained popularity through the years because it helps suppress the immune system. It helps people lose weight. It helps people reverse type 2 diabetes, which is all fine and well. Elimination diets aren't bad necessarily, but elimination diets only go so far. You can only do that for so long. You can only rob Peter to pay Paul for so long until your body starts to break down a little bit. And we see this time and time again. I mean, that's why people really never stick with extreme elimination diets. And that's why if somebody really wanted to stick with a a certain elimination diet, do it seasonally. Be a carnivore or animal-based in the winter. Be plant-based or vegetarian in the spring. Switch to higher carbohydrates in the summertime. In the fall, switch to higher fats, right? You could do that, and your body would stay actually really well-balanced. That's far more sustainable than just eating steak every night or the potato diet or whatever crazy diets people have been on to lose weight and change metabolic function. And that's the thing with a lot of these diets and a lot of these people that promote extreme elimination diets, a lot of them have some type of autoimmune or immune system issue that they're trying to solve and deal with. And it very may well solve the immune system issue that they have. But how sustainable is it long term then becomes the question. How dogmatic are they going to become in that diet? And what are the really long-term implications of it? Not just 10 years, 15 years, 20, 30, generationally down the line. What happens? And those are the questions that we can't answer. All I can tell you is from an ancestral context, that wasn't done. Extreme elimination diets weren't done. Again, people did it seasonally, but they ate seasonally. And that brings me to the microbiome and what happens in the microbiome when you either eat an excess of nutrients or keep a really limited suite of nutrients in your diet for a sustained amount of time. So your microbiome is basically the foundation for your metabolism. In other words, the species, the kingdoms of life that are housed in your gut, right, in your intestines, specifically the small intestine, is what really is breaking down and working on the food that's running through your small intestine so the cells can then utilize it. And with microbiome dysfunction, you're going to have metabolism dysfunction. So primarily you have in the microbiota, you have about five or six prominent kingdoms of life. You have bacteria, you have fungi, you have protist, you have archaea, you have viruses, and then usually some multicellular 
eukaryotes. And all of these interact with your food to break it down to form metabolites that your cells can then use for energy and function. And that's where your immune system sits. Your immune system predominantly lies in the gut. Over 70% of your immune system is housed in the gut and is built from your microbiome. And so you can see if you start eating a very limited window of nutrients, you can see how that starts to suppress your immune function because you're not feeding all of your microbiota. If you're just getting in veggies, fungi, legumes, or if you're just getting in steak, you're not feeding your entire microbiota and that down-regulates your immune response, which can either be a good thing to get you out of some immune system loop that your body's been stuck in, or it can be a very bad thing, depending on what you have going on in your biology. And that's precisely why for the general population that doesn't have some major immune system issue, I promote a five kingdom diet. Because when you're eating from all five kingdoms, you're going to be feeding the kingdoms of the microbiome, and that's going to balance out your immune system and build the microbiota, which therefore builds the immune system. It doesn't just temporarily suppress it. Because the minute you go off of that strict diet, your body is maladapted for other foods because it's gotten so adapted to breaking down a very narrow window of nutrients, a very narrow suite of nutrients. And so if you can keep that robust and the microbiota fed within the seasons, your body's going to function way better. And it's going to be able to adapt and cope with different stresses that your biology is going to inevitably be under at certain points in your life. Okay, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent, but it's important that you realize kind of how the metabolism and the microbiota and digestion all interact and play on one another to help keep your body protected on all levels, whether it's through energy from the mitochondria, whether it's rebuilding the organs, whether it's the skeleton, whatever it is right? The more balanced your nutrition, meaning the more you can feed the microbiome with as many different species in the five kingdoms that you can get in, the better. The better it can cope with everything. Which brings me to the probiotic, prebiotic, postbiotic discussion. So prebiotics have been floating around for probably the last 10 years, at least in kind of the general population. I mean, they were produced long before that. But the marketing around prebiotics really exploded about a decade ago. It was understood that you needed these beneficial kind of bacteria in the gut because they saw through antibiotics that people would function way worse if they were on long-term broad-spectrum antibiotics. Their metabolism and digestion would suffer an extreme amount. And inevitably, the marketplace kind of got hip to this and started producing tons of different probiotics. And then doctors and scientists began to understand that getting probiotics in wasn't necessarily good enough either because you needed a thing to kind of activate the probiotics called prebiotics, that they've kind of jumped too soon to a mid-metabolism breakdown, and that if you had prebiotics and probiotics, it would work even better to balance out metabolism. Now we get to this thing called postbiotics, or what has always been called metabolites. So first and secondary metabolites, which are the things your cells need to be fed with. First and secondary metabolites 
are what the cells utilize so they can do their functions of apoptosis and whatever their function is. In this area of postbiotics or getting the end metabolism products in your body, yes, it's what your cells need to function with, but just dumping reduced down prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics into your gut is really not going to balance out your overall metabolism. It's a very reductionist kind of drug way to think about metabolism. Metabolism is millions of chemical reactions going on inside your body all of the time. And so taking a few species of lactobacillus bacteria, saccharomyces, and whatever you can find on your lab bench and putting them in capsules and telling people to take them, it's a bit short-sighted. Because again, your environment, your genetics, your nutrition will affect your very metabolism that you're trying to correct. So this idea of take trying to take something like short-chain fatty acids, like butyrate, for example. Butyrate is a very powerful metabolite that gets utilized and taken up by your colon, gets produced in the colon by fermentable fiber. Now, butyrate is very crucial to all different types of cellular function. It's a huge antioxidant in your body. So it keeps your reduction and oxidation pathways cleared and functioning well. You only utilize about 10% of your total body's energy from short-chain fatty acids or fermentable fiber, essentially. Your body doesn't use that much of it. So if you are nutrient-deprived and taking a postbiotic like butyrate, it really does nothing for your overall metabolism, especially when your body isn't capable of even breaking it down to get it into butyrate. If you have a butyrate issue, if you're not, for some reason, metabolizing short-chain fatty acids like butyrate in your colon, you've got a bigger metabolism issue than just trying to force in more metabolites. That means that there's some type of hindrance in your metabolism. And that's what people are dealing with. And that's why post and pre and probiotics don't really work that well. The only time they're going to work super effectively is if your metabolism is really well balanced. But if your metabolism is really well balanced, you don't need pre, pro, and postbiotics. The simple way to think about it is start with good nutrition. Start with a five kingdom approach and seasonal eating. Once you have that down, if your body is still not getting to the point of good metabolism, then you can try adding in some of the over-counter pre, pro, and postbiotics. But until then, it's pretty pointless to take them. If you have type 2 diabetes and you're taking a prebiotic, a probiotic, or a postbiotic, uh, good luck. You're basically wasting your money. Let the food be the pre, the pro, and the postbiotic. It's all in the food. Food first. And then if there's a bigger issue at hand that you really need to get dialed in precisely, then you can look at supplements. Now, if you do whole food type supplements, then that's a different story. But isolating just certain strains of bacteria, especially for the microbiome, it's a bit silly and doesn't really work all that well. Because the interactions with all the other kingdoms that are housed in the microbiome are numerous. Millions of interactions go on to break down and utilize the nutrients that are coming out of your food. So, I mean, I foresee this kind of postbiotic 
market being a pretty big one. I think it's going to get a lot of talk in the coming years. It probably won't right away, but give it two or three, five years, and it's going to be big money. I mean, I think if somebody wants to make and start a good business right now, get into the postbiotic market. Um, but again, not going to be all that helpful. Not for the person that has metabolic dysfunction to begin with. You can't supplement your way out of metabolic dysfunction. It's not possible. And the truth is, the majority of people have some type of metabolic dysfunction. A lot of the times, it can be due to not high enough levels of vitamin D. So there's vitamin D receptors on something like 98% of your cells. That means virtually every single cell in your body has a place for vitamin D to attach onto it. And a lot of people are deficient in minerals like magnesium that controls a huge percentage of your metabolism and digestion. Again, sort out the big stuff. Sort out the things that are easy to sort out, like blood sugar, like vitamin D, like minerality. And then you can start fine-tuning from there. It could be that, genetically speaking, your body needs more butyrate or needs a higher percentage of short-chain fatty acids. But you're not going to know that until you have good, proper nutrition to stand on, until the microbiome is robust and functioning well. And the way you get to that is through feeding the entire microbiome. Because once you start cutting out kingdoms, then what? If you don't eat any type of fungal kingdom, for example, what does that fungal kingdom do and what happens to that fungal kingdom in the microbiome? It gets suppressed. Your body dumbs it down because nothing's feeding it. What does that do long term? I mean, these are the types of questions we need to be asking and answering. And the reality is no one really knows because nobody's ever really done it before. Nobody was in the position of luxury and privilege to be able to do it. You know, the fact that people can just kind of choose the kingdom that they want to eat is extremely new and extremely novel. That was never done before in human history, ever. You know, but the outlook on what happens when you don't feed certain kingdoms in your body, especially in the microbiota, it's not great. Yes, you do get immune system su suppression in some instances, but you don't want extremely long-term immune system suppression. That means you're just covering up symptoms that were previously there. All I can tell you is that ancestrally, all of the kingdoms and species in your microbiota were fed. And I would speculate by not feeding all those kingdoms long-term, you're going to run into some issues. So why risk it? You know, again, you could eat an elimination type diet seasonally and get just as much benefit. You could eat it for two months, three months maybe at a time and still provide your body with a good overall balanced nutrition if you look at it on the annual basis, which Historically and ancestrally, that's what a lot of people did, especially in really extreme climates. You know, places like the Arctic, where a large portion of the year, there was no plants around. And so they were eating a lot of animal products. They were absolutely animal-based. But when the plants came and they had 24 hours of daylight, you better believe they were just eating tons of plants. They looked like vegetarians. And obviously, 
they didn't limit, you know, just to eating plants on the landscape, but you better believe they utilized everything they could because it was fresh. Your body needs variety. Your microbiome needs variety. Your metabolism needs variety. When it doesn't have variety, it stuffs down what it isn't feeding on, aka immunosuppression. So it's something to keep in mind. Food first, balanced five kingdom diet, lots of species within all those five kingdoms, and try to keep it in a seasonal cadence. And you're going to be well balanced and you're going to be setting your body up for whatever crazy thing comes up. So just a few thoughts on this kind of whole metabolism kind of market paradigm that we kind of find ourselves in at the moment. And knowing if and when you need a certain type of pre, pro, or postbiotic is important. All right, I think that's going to do it for this week. As always, thank you so much for listening. Get outside in that springtime sun. Happy belated spring equinox. Eat a well-balanced five-kingdom broad species diet. And I'll talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, leave me a rating and review. This will ensure that people can find the podcast so that we can grow the audience. And it will help me secure guests for future episodes. If you have suggestions on what you want to hear on upcoming episodes, go to AncestralElements.com and leave me a comment. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts and inputs and answer any questions that you may have.